welcome to Greenville Radio. I'm your host, Kendall Titchener. On the show, we share how notable leaders apply environment, social, and governance factors in business. Kirsty Boyle is the CEO of EnviroSoft, a software company that provides scalable emissions management and ESG reporting solutions. She is a leader and mentor in the technology community and sits on several boards. In this episode, we discuss the role of technology in helping companies achieve their ESG goals. Thanks for joining us, Kirsty. Thanks for having me. Uh, well, let's get started. Tell us about you and your background. Yeah, um, absolutely. So I'm originally from Vancouver and I came out to Calgary for school. I uh, saw a lot of opportunity here, especially for career growth and ended up staying. Um, I originally started out in healthcare, actually, after doing a degree in biological sciences and then pivoted into management consulting uh, after getting an MBA in global energy management and sustainability. As a consultant, um, I specialize in technology commercialization, helping anyone from large organizations all the way down to scrappy entrepreneurs um, and helping them commercialize new technologies, uh, which was uh, an exciting field to be in. Uh, but after doing it for a while, I really um, got bit with the bug and um, you know, started getting really disappointed when I had to hand off all these strategies um, and watch other people build companies uh, and really wanted to dive in and build companies myself. Um, ended up getting that opportunity and uh, joined a nanotech company that was forming um, and headed up revenue generation for them. And we ended up uh, growing the company, raising a significant amount of money um, and uh, opening up two offices, having um, a global client base and, and 40 employees. Um, but what I'm most excited about is what I'm doing right now, which is um, leading Envirosoft. Uh, which is an air emissions management software system uh, and solution provider to the oil and gas industry. Great. So you seem like you're a bit ahead of the curve in terms of getting involved in the technology field. So what attracted you to the technology industry? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, So I wouldn't say I was attracted into it, uh, more so I fell into it. (laughs) I kind of stumbled by accident, but it was a a good accident um, because I did quickly uh, learn uh, that I I really enjoyed the industry and this is where I want to build my career. Um, uh, After working in it for a little bit as a consultant, um, I read a book early on that really had a big influence on me and there was a book called Abundance by Peter Diamandis. Um, Have you heard of that one? I haven't. I've heard of Peter Diamandis, but I haven't heard of that book. Yeah, it's um, it's an older one, but but uh, a good one, um, especially the beginning of it. So it lays out the premise that technology is the force that's going to unlock scarcity uh, and turn it into abundance um, and talks about the story of aluminum, uh, which really has stuck with me Um are you, have you heard about the, I'm sure some of the listeners have heard the story of aluminum before. Um, have you heard it? No, I actually have no, no background or information on it. So Okay, yeah. So it's, um, 
So it's basically the, the story that aluminum is uh, the most abundant metal uh, on earth and it's all around us. But for thousands of years, it uh, was the most valuable metal or perceived to be the most valuable metal to the point that even in the 1800s, kings, um, when they were dining, only the aluminum utensils were reserved for the highest honor guests, um, and the rest got gold and silver. <laughs> uh, and talking about it wasn't until the technology of electrolysis came around that was able to cheaply separate um, the aluminum from the bauxite of which it's commonly bound to, um, to unlock the, that abundance that was already around us. Um, so it's, it's an interesting analogy. And when you look at all the problems that are facing the world today or challenges around climate change and energy and access to clean water, uh, you can easily look around and see that the inputs there um, are around us um, are abundant in terms of solar or our oceans. Um, and it really is just waiting for a technology to unlock them. Um, and so that's something I, I always have in the back of my mind and gets me really excited about being part of an industry that has the potential to make such positive um, impact in the world. That's a really interesting and eloquent way of, of thinking about technology. So, uh, so thanks for sharing that. Um, I guess, and pivoting a little bit into the work that you do now, uh, you're the CEO of Envirosoft. So can you provide an overview of the organization and your role? Yeah. Um, so Envirosoft has been a leading provider of emissions management software and solutions for nearly 20 years. Uh, based here in Calgary and servicing global clients. Um, my role as CEO is really to lead the company through um, a really exciting new chapter uh, of significant growth that we're going through. Um, it's been an interesting uh, journey for us, uh, starting out initially in the early years, supporting our oil and gas customers in uh, regulatory compliance and reporting and, and helping do that in the most efficient and accurate way. Um, and now, especially in the last four years with uh, the increased importance um, and attention on ESG and corporate reporting and going beyond emissions um, or beyond the requirements for, for uh, emissions management, um, we now are shifting from being a regulatory platform to being the foundational platform for the E in ESG. So what are some examples of green technologies that companies are using to enhance their sustainability efforts and remain compliant? Yeah, um, so, I mean, obviously one R technology is, is one of those. And um, in, in terms of what our platform helps our customers do, there's a large number of complex calculations and data management that's required to accurately measure, track, and report on emissions. Um, and then also to add more complexity, depending on the jurisdiction you're reporting to, there's, there's slightly differences, slight differences in the methodologies that you have to follow. And so our software helps our clients manage this easily and in one tool. Um, so that's obviously, the first one that's always top of mind for me, but when I look at overall 
green technologies. Um, I think there's a lot of really great innovation happening in the oil and gas sector around reducing greenhouse gases. Um, and uh, I like to say this a lot, but I really do see our, our industry as a technology industry that just so happens to produce a natural resource uh, because there is so much ingenuity happening. Um, but when I look at specific technologies, uh, it really spans the whole spectrum. So it can be you know, sim simple equipment upgrades that make it more energy efficient. Um, and those upgrades all really do add up to make a larger difference, um, but all the way to uh, novel technologies. Like there's a, a Calgary-based Acceloware is one that comes to mind. And uh, they'd be actually a good good one to have uh, on your on your podcast, Kendall. Um, but they so they have a technology that um, essentially microwaves the oil sands on an extremely large scale to help uh, extract hydrocarbons with a fraction of the water um, and a fraction of the emissions. So um, that's a really interesting um, uh, technology, I think, that we're going to see a lot more of coming up. Um, being from a biology background, I think I'm really, just personally, really interested in following carbon capture uh, technology, um, especially around the um, bioengineering of microbes um, or synthetic biology, I guess is another term for it, um, which is really in simplistic terms. Uh, you take the microbes and use CRISPR to edit the genes um, and you train them to eat CO2. And then the output is um, a useful byproduct. Could be fuel, could be glucose. Um, and uh, Semvita out of Houston, uh, they're an interesting company that um, is working on a platform like that. Um, and of course, uh, I think Elon Musk is is now uh, just just laid down his tweet um, promising to donate $100 million uh, as a prize to the best carbon capture technology. So it's going to be interesting to see how how that heats up. Um, although it was really, uh, I, I enjoyed a lot of the responses to it around just go plant some trees. <laughs> of course, it isn't, isn't that simple. Um, and then I think the last bucket is really renewable energy and, and looking at a lot of the advancements that um, are taking place in solar, wind, geothermal, um, and then the ancillary technologies that support that in terms of advancements in battery storage and, and hydrogen. Yeah, it's it's interesting to hear your comment on Elon Musk, because I think it was, was it five or six years ago, there was the, um, speaking of Peter Diamandis, the, the uh, carbon X prize uh, that was part of COSIA. And um, I'm not sure where that's at right now. I'll have to check in on that. But it seems like it's uh, kind of running running parallel to, uh, well, Elon Musk and Peter Diamandis's, um intent there kind of runs parallel to each other in terms of, you know, how can we kind of encourage and ignite all this innovation to solve uh, this large uh, issue of, of carbon capture. So, um, yeah, you just reminded me to check in on the status of XPRIZE. So. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's exciting. It's nice to see 
uh, people with the means and the platform, um, adding that fuel and, and stimulating that that innovation. Um, so yeah, more more to watch there. Definitely. Um, and so this next question is, um, I've personally observed that there's a lot of, um, I think, gray area and intimidation for companies in terms of understanding how to develop um, an, not, not only an ESG strategy for the company, but also choosing um, a technology that will enable them to achieve um, aspects of that strategy. So what should companies consider when choosing a green technology that's right for them? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's an important question uh, for companies to think through. I think, you know, first, it's really important to start with what's the company's ESG strategy and plan um, before jumping into the technologies, because the technologies should be a tool to achieving the strategy and plan um, and shouldn't it shouldn't lead the strategy in, in itself. Um, so I think that's important is first first set those goals and strategy. Um, I think another aspect to keep in mind is that the general community is really becoming more knowledgeable um, and more aware of, of potential greenwashing or insincerity in, in launching new technology for the PR side of it. And so um, it's really important to put thought that uh, it is integrated and makes sense in, a, in an authentic way for that specific business model because plunking solar panels on a on a uh, roof isn't going to cut it anymore as an afterthought. Um, but yeah, I think in terms of emissions, which is my world um, and emissions management, it first begins with understanding what are your top emission sources and then start to begin to measure and track and report them even internally to begin with. Um, and then evaluate the technologies as to which ones will have the largest impact on those sources. Um, and it'll be different for every business and different depending on your equipment um, and asset inventories, depending on you if you have many engines or not, not many or the types um, that all influences uh, the technologies that would be right for, for the business. But it is also interesting to see that the investor community is watching to make sure um, there's that integration of uh, ESG um, into all considerations of the business and especially as a source of competitive advantage. And I know many of your guests have touched on this point, but it's an important one um, in that companies that truly do integrate ESG considerations and that encompasses technology um, really do outperform other similar organizations. And and investors are also finding that in their investment portfolios. especially with BlackRock is obviously one of the leading examples of that uh, recently calling on all companies to disclose their plans for how their business model will be compatible um, with a net zero economy. So yeah, it's, it's, I think, top of mind for, for many executives right now. So your answer parlays nicely into the next question, which is um, how can companies ensure they are collecting the correct data when reporting? Yeah, it's it's exactly right up there in terms of uh, questions executives are, are looking at and are top of mind, um, especially, I would say, 
on the emission side within the E of ESG um, because there is significant risk to the credibility of the executive team and of the organization if um, you report on especially emissions data that's later found to not be accurate. Um, and so we are noticing and in a lot of our conversations with clients that this is a top priority. Um, and fortunately, we're positioned well to help help uh, executives with having that peace of mind with our, of our foundational platform. But um, first steps as an executive would be um, if I were starting at a, at a operator or uh, in a new role, I would recommend starting with a gap assessment. So looking at existing processes around data collection, data management, as well as um, the emissions calculations methodologies. I think that's uh, one area that maybe gets overlooked, um, just how complex these um, the methodologies and calculations are supporting the emissions data that gets rolled up. Um, and, and you'd be surprised to hear that there are actually still some operators um, that are managing emissions through spreadsheets even today, <laughs> which opens themselves up to a lot of risk um, because formulas in spreadsheets can be changed. Um, there's human error. It's really time consuming. Um, and it's also difficult to, to maintain um, data over long periods of time to go back and do historical comparisons um, and have that consistency. So it, it really is starting to move past the point where uh, a spreadsheet works. And so um, it's important to start thinking through a systems approach lens um, and, and software becomes an important piece of that. Uh, so when looking at software options, I would encourage uh, executives to look at um, the software's ability to easily integrate and QA, QC the data that comes in. Um, it's the overall software's completeness in managing all emissions regulatory reporting in one tool, because I think we're finding there's a lot of um, uh, fractional softwares out there that manage one aspect, but don't integrate nicely as one complete solution. Um, and then the credibility of the software, this is a place where you can't afford to, to go wrong and making sure that whatever system or software um, uh, has had its methodologies verified by third parties hundreds of times um, to de-risk that. Yeah, I think those are, are good points, especially when you mentioned earlier about um, the importance of identifying what your strategy is and then kind of working backwards to ensure that you have the right software that will um, help you work towards uh, achieving whatever that strategy is and and also provide that um, that access to the, the data that you're going to be needing um, to help work towards that. Exactly. Strategy. What gets measured gets improved. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, so how can companies set ESG reporting goals? I know this is a bit of a broad question, but I've noticed general sentiment is that so many companies are feeling this kind of um, paralysis by analysis in, in terms of not even knowing where to tackle this critical topic. Um, but there's there's so much gray area and kind of confusion into how to work towards um, setting those reporting mm -hmm. goals. 
Yeah, there there really is, especially that analysis paralysis piece going on. And I think one of the driving factors behind that is the lack of standardization globally and in industries um, on reporting standards. Um, I, I know many of your other episodes have touched on the pros and cons of, of different ESG frameworks, uh, like if you go with SASB or GRI or CDP. Um, and what we're finding is a lot of our clients actually are started creating hybrid versions for themselves, um, picking and kind of choosing which which ones to, to create to, to report themselves. Um, and you know, each have pros and cons and varies by industry. But um, I guess one of the biggest pitfalls I'll share is uh, from clients' experiences is that um, if you decide to um, align to one framework itself, um, you're going to be held accountable to all of the different KPIs and reporting metrics. And where that can go wrong is if there's one or two that don't really make sense for your business, but you had to take it as the full package and you're reporting against it. Um, the danger is that that's going to start to influence your company's actions too, um, with the goal of changing that metric. But it's an opportunity cost that would be lost because that that effort might have been have a bigger impact on your particular business if it was directed elsewhere. But because of this pressure of of reporting on the metric, um, it actually shifts business activities to um, to the detriment of the organization. So being very careful about those smaller metrics that you're not really thinking are that important and you take with the bundle, but um, can actually start to, to steer your, your company a bit off kilter. Um, because once you select those metrics, uh, you're going to be held accountable to them. It's, it's really hard to uh, back out of reporting once you've started on a certain KPI. So that would be my one piece of caution around that. Yeah, that's a, a really good point. Um, I think, especially because uh, it's it's not clearly understood whether or not there's going to be this standardization of of reporting, um, and there is really no one size fits all approach depending on on industry and and even um, uh, mm-hmm. what the market demands. So, are there certain metrics that are important in a particular year? that's more top topical and timely, um, you know, is, is that going to um, fit into your business strategy and, and um, be appealing to your stakeholders, your investors in the long term? So, um, but that's, that's really, I think, apropos a- advice to, for considerations that companies need to kind of uh, weigh before moving forward with their ESG reporting yeah, exactly. Um, and and even within so, um, each ESG framework, even if you take two companies in the same industry, say oil and gas, that subscribe to the same framework, um, it still isn't apples to apples comparison. If if say we're picking on emissions KPIs, um, there's still a lot of room for interpretation of what data gets included and what the QA of the data is required. Um, and yeah, we we're finding that even between companies in the same framework, it's not necessarily comparable data. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and that's a really good um, point to bring up too, because not everyone has has the industry knowledge too to know that it isn't apples to apples. So how do you, um, 
how do you, I guess, take the time or even know where to begin, let's say, as, as an investor to understand that um, the reporting frameworks that you're looking at between the emissions of um, two different uh, oil and gas companies or two different agriculture companies, um, are, are they similar? Are, are they not? Like, what are, what are kind of some of the KPIs that you could, should be looking at depending on business model differences or mm-hmm. geographical differences? So um, pivoting a little bit into your, your role um, outside of EnviroSoft, you're a board director at TELUS Spark. Can you tell us yeah, about your role here? Um, uh, so um, uh, I've been on the board of directors for the TELUS Spark Science Center here in Calgary for four years and serve on the governance and, and nominating committee. Um, so it's definitely an a organization close to my heart because Growing up in Vancouver and, and a little bit of my childhood in Toronto, um, going to the local science centers was really a weekend ritual for me that helped um, shape my career path into, into STEM and, and getting a science degree and in, into technology. Uh, so I've really enjoyed giving back um, in support of our science center here, um, especially because I don't know if you're finding this as well, but just in these current times where people are unsure of, of what what information sources they can trust and what's truth and what's fake news. Um, you know, I think it really um, underscores the need for a science center's role um, and it becomes even more important so that we can help increase fact-based discourse um, and really inspire the next generation of leaders um, to innovate and, and think critically about their information sources um, and, and, uh, and the environment. Um, and it's exciting. We've got some ambitious plans, uh, some exciting things planned for the future um, that really will see us as a top destination here in Calgary uh, around the world. That's great. Yeah. And it's it's funny, too. Um, uh, being from Vancouver, too, we probably both grew up going mm-hmm. to Science World, which I think they've they've renamed it. It's tell it's I think it's Telus Science yeah. Globe or something <laughs> now. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I so much of my so many of my childhood memories were there. So um, I I totally um, I totally get that, and um, I I hope that it continues with the next generation too. That that curiosity can be sparked at those mm-hmm. types of, of centers. <laughs> So um, projecting a little bit, I guess, into, into the future, how do you think ESG technology will change in the yeah, next five years? It's um, a big question. And uh, when I was putting some thought to this question, I think I realized, you know, there's only going to be increased investment in this area. Um, that's certain. Um, there's a lot of different technologies, which touched on earlier around even within the subset of carbon capture or uh, renewable energy or storage, um, all, all the pieces that are going around that. Um, so I think, I think I have certainty that there will be an innovation or, or several innovation breakthroughs in, in those spaces, but you know, whether it's going to be from genetically modified microbes uh, or, or whether it's going to be from drone or satellite technology that captures um, fugitive emissions data that turns out to unlock some great insight um, uh, or, or solar batteries. Um, 
it's it's going to be one of 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 it. Um, and there's there's many irons in the fire, I think, so to speak, in terms of a lot of the development that's going on and the advancement. So I'm just personally a huge fan to follow all the technologies, and I'm excited to see you know where where it's going to come from, but um, too early for me to place my bets yet. Thanks for joining me on this episode of Green Bull Radio. I'm your host, Kendall Titchener. Please submit guest ideas and ESG-related questions via our social media at Green Bull Radio on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Thanks for listening. Thank you.